Well, hey there, and welcome to the Emergence Community Leaders Podcast, the podcast dedicated to diving deeper into the themes and topics we study each week as we gather together to worship Jesus. Our hope is that this will serve to further equip our church with more insight, context, and background into the weekly sermons and help the proclamation of God's Word on Sunday turn into the application of God's Word in our daily lives and ultimately ending up in the transformation of people in our local communities. Thanks for joining us here today, and let's get started as we dive into this week's discussion. All right, well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Leaders Podcast. We are in week four of our Really Living series, or Really Alive series, I should say. We're in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. My name's Alex Hauser. I'm with Doug Becker, our pastor of theology. What's up, Doug? What's up, Alex? Good to see you. Good to see you, man. Doug's fresh off of celebrating a pretty sick-looking bass that just came in the door That's for right. him. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Modeling pretty, after the... Uh, it's pretty sick. Flea. That's right. Awesome. Get some flea action in there. Yeah. Music quote for you. Where's flea from? <laughs> He's... He's from, uh, well, he's originally from Australia. Oh, is he? Yeah, but then L.A. Mm, yeah. Nice. I okay. actually lived in New York for some time also. L.A. by way of Australia. Yes, that's right. Mm. <laughs> All right, man. So we're jumping into Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. Um, what are we look, taking a look at here today? Yeah, so this is the end of what many people consider the greatest chapter in the Bible, if one can speak in such ways. Mm. But beloved by many. And it's definitely like the crescendo of this whole section of Romans before he gets into the tricky chapter 9, which we're not going through in this series. Mm. But uh, maybe one day. What's the um, big point for this week, Doug? I'm looking at this now. I was so careful to make sure all of our oh references my gosh, were good. Oh my I don't gosh. think I changed the key point. Nice. Oh. Nice. That's very... It's always something, yeah, it's man. It's always something. Sometimes it's... Yeah. I was going to say... That this... first step's a doozy right there. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, um, so I would say nothing in all creation can nullify the hope of the gospel. We will change it to exactly yeah. that. Nothing can... I'm sorry, just taking notes. I'll fix that for you guys. That'll be available up on the website as soon as we finish recording here. Very but nice. if you go by the one that we emailed you, it'll probably still say the old one. So, um, nothing can nullify the hope we have in the gospel. Rock and roll. I like yeah, it. Simple. I like it. Very simple. Um, so, a couple cool things. Worship night's coming up. Um, definitely check that out. Is that next week or two weeks? Um, that's the 16th. It's the 16th, so two yeah. Weeks two weeks. So come join us for that. That's going to be an awesome night. Can't wait to be outside worshiping with you guys. And uh, please continue to give us some feedback. We've had a couple of you guys reach out and share some feedback about the community season thus far. Uh, but continuing to look forward to that as well as we prepare for fall 2021. Um, really looking to kind of almost relaunch the church a little bit. And so we've been talking and dreaming uh, about that quite a bit now. And so we should have a nice, shiny new new study guide book. Yeah, yeah. rocking and rolling. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. I know, Doug, you've been working hard on that already. Yeah, if I ever write it, it'll be really good, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and then I will record lots of things and change all the references to the wrong one. That's right, yeah. exactly. My I'm contribution. sure that there's typos in critical spots. <laughs> Sweet. All right, so a couple big things. As far as the, the leader's guide this week, we're really looking at the four questions that Paul kind of poses in Romans 8, and then we've got a little bit of an introduction uh, called deconstruction in front of that. And so... Uh, Romans 8, um, verses 31 to 39, Paul's kind of giving us like four very specific questions as he's kind of reasoning through uh, salvation, really. Like, you know, essentially, what can we say to these things? You know, who can stand against us? Who shall, who could possibly condemn us? Who could separate us from the love of God? And these are those four questions that we have. And um, 
or who could be against us as well. And so we'll cover in uh, each one of those. But first, Doug, uh, Ryan talked a little bit about this idea of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And then he used a word that I'm pretty sure he didn't come up with himself, which is <laughs> deenculturation, right? Is the right way to say that? <laughs> yeah. Instead of deenculturalization. Disenculturation. 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 Not disenculturalization. He said, what do you I think he may have added a syllable. I think two. he said deenculturalization. <laughs> 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 nice. It's like anti-disestablishmentarianism. Yeah. 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 But let's jump into this. So in the sermon this week, we were talking about Christians, uh, you know, quote unquote, deconstructing their faith, right? Or, or really what we're talking about is kind of questioning what the fundamental aspects of Christianity are or of their faith to kind of reevaluate what they believe, what our lives are about. And so Ryan talked about two ways that we can kind of do this or two ways that this is often done a healthy way and a very destructive way, right? And so leaders, if you're following along in the, in the blue there, we added a couple notes, right? The destructive way, um, and Doug, feel free to comment on this. These are your words here. It's, it's often fueled by ex-Christian writers or speakers, social media personalities, where people are, are really kind of attempting to dismantle what they believe uh, by feeding, as you say, doubts and disillusionments with popular one-sided critiques of classical Christianity, mm. right? So um, let me just read the healthy way first, and we can dive into this a little bit. But the healthy way, known as deenculturation, is where a missionary will kind of seek to disentangle the message of the gospel, the church, the Bible, etc., and what it means to be a Christian from the ways in which these things have been colored by our own culture or subculture. And the result of this is a more durable Christianity, contextualized to meet the challenges of modern life in a way that's faithful to what God's revealed in scripture. Mm-hmm. So a healthy way and a destructive way. Let's talk about, let's talk about each of these first and then we'll mm-hmm. dive into some of these questions. Sure. Or actually, you know what? Let me read the questions because then we can answer them. So number one, what are some of the dangers of a skepticism driven deconstruction of our faith? And why do you think that this appeals to so many people today? Uh, this is almost kind of run rampant to be honest, but uh, we'll jump into that. Number two, what does it look like to deconstruct our faith in a healthy way fueled by gospel mission? Number three, in general, what are some ways we can encourage people to deal with their doubts in a healthy way? So let's talk about this a little bit, uh, about deconstructing the faith. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different angles that you can take on this, but this is just, you know, the way it's uh, popularly called. I'm sure in other generations it's been called other stuff. Mm. And I I do want to say that I feel that uh, we do mention that this is often, um, you know, kind of spurred on by kind of trendy authors and things like that who have, you know, taken the plunge into some form of skepticism or unbelief or some type of reimagining Christianity. And and I I sometimes get the feeling as if the simply the um, the prevalence of um, social media and things like that, this mm-hmm. can be one of the things that that really, really gives adrenaline to, you know, so I I feel like I feel like people have always questioned their faith and people have always walked away or there have been other quote unquote versions of Christianity mm. out there before and that these are just very visible and I think that today um you know we hear about it mm. more than you know cuz I remember even when I when I became a Christian like if I was going to like 20 years ago right, like if if you're going to find out about something big in the Christian world that's happening like it's probably you're probably going to need to find. It's probably going to need to be at like the Christian bookstore, yeah, or something, right? Whereas yeah. here, it's like you just turn on your social media feed and you. So, you know, people's perspective on things is 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 a lot less limited now. So, at and any far rate, more easily influenced. Far, as far well. more e- easily, yeah. People are easily influenced and things like that. Um, so I think 
um, the dangers, when we're talking about the dangers of a kind of a skepticism driven thing, and this is kind of like, um, I think the da- I think some of the dangers are that um, we do I do call these like one-sided critiques of biblical Christianity, and I'm kind of knee deep in this stuff right now because we're pre- preparing for the uh, for the progressive um, Christianity for the summer session. Yeah, right? for pro- uh, progressive Christianity. Yeah, and or the topic study on progressive right, Christianity. Right, exactly, we exactly. We're not and switching. The thing is, is that like. A lot of times when you hear the when you read the critiques of these individuals, the substance behind them is usually not given. In other words, like like statements are made, but why should we think that? And what are the counter arguments against it? Right? Like I don't if if I in other words, if I'm exposing myself to a resource, if I, or if I'm drinking in a resource that is uh that I, that has the potential to really shift the way I think about something. Mm. I want the best reasons for, and I want to know the reasons against. Right. So I don't want to just be example, like, yeah. I was going to say, let's say for example, I was going to try to convert you into using cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm just going to start preaching till I'm blue in the face about yeah. fiat currency and non fungible non fungible tokens. Yeah. Yes. Look, you were paying attention. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if I was going to try to preach this to you, and you were like, okay, so why should I? And yeah. instead of you know. Citing reason, you know, citing reason, I just say, well, because you could become a millionaire on Dogecoin, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Which is probably the worst possible reason yeah. for looking into cryptocurrency if, anyway. But yeah, I, I get suspicious over resources that give the worst versions of the positions they argue against. Yep. And, you know, and, uh, and sometimes very few reasons for the positions they're arguing for. So I think of things like, so you might have like, Criteria like criticism of the atonement, right? The idea that God sent Jesus to die. Mm. It's this is cosmic child abuse, right? And if that's mm. all that you hear about it, oh yeah, that sounds really bad, right? <laughs> you know. But there's 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 uncharitable ways to describe all kinds of good things in right. the world, you know. And mm. you know, uh, I think I've probably used this example before. I think of it all the time. Like, oh, all all Mozart did was put dots on pages, you know, <laughs> sure. he, and, and uh, you know, or, you know, you've got a great pianist, like all he could do, all, he spends all his days just hitting keys down. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's like ways you can phrase things that are just ridiculous. Mm. But again, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taken aback by the amount of, uh, by the amount of uh, disengagement with actual reasons for or against a position that you sometimes encounter. Rather, it's just, let me give you a list of things that are wrong, blah, mm. blah, 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 without really an analysis of any of them. And and mm. people who are already maybe have have disillusionment with the church or, or have already, you know, or are feeling the pressure uh, in culture to think a certain way or to say a mm. certain thing, Right, we have to realize that we can be susceptible to those things. Mm. So those are some of the dangers of that. I can't help but hear the echo of a conversation I was having recently. We were looking into generational studies, um, talking about the differences between like baby boomers and millennials and Gen Z, and you know all these different things, Gen X, Gen Z, and and you know we were talking a little bit more about uh, college ministry, student ministry, and so on and so forth. But one of the things that popped up that I, has just stuck with me. Was that the millennial generation in particular? You know, data has shown they they you know they've taken all of these. Oh, what's the name of the organization? Barna Group. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Barna Group. Mm-hmm. They um, 
they did all of this research and what they found is that millennials in particular want to be known for their opinion. They want to have an opinion. Mm. And that opinion doesn't necessarily have to be based on much. It's just their opinion and they want to be heard for their opinion. And one of the things as far as the biggest weaknesses, you know, because we were studying millennials in the workforce as well. One of the biggest, I am a millennial, so I can speak (laughs) in this. Um, But we want to have an opinion, yet at the same time, it can be very loosely built upon uh, on factual proofs. And it's just an opinion. And it's funny because now I look at social media and it's like everybody's got an opinion. Everyone has an opinion. But they haven't always been really thought through, these opinions. And when you translate that into your worldview or, you know, in this case, how you're looking at Christianity or biblical Christianity, it's like, well, I don't feel like this is appropriate is not enough of an answer. You know, this is your eternity that you're talking about. It's probably worth asking the questions. Like if I'm reading an author and he's making a judgment call on something in scripture, what are his reasons? Like, what are the reasons for this? And where is this premise coming from? Is it supported in scripture? Yeah. And and that's not to say, yeah, like that, like obviously books are going to have an opinion and they can't just be neutral on, on everything. Right. But if you're not given good reasons for, and if you if the opposing position is not Cited. treated, is not said well, like mm. you're probably not reading something you can really truly learn from. Right. All you're doing is getting someone who's trying to coax you to their side. Mm. Um, and this also goes for the individual who is in the process of quote unquote deconstructing. Mm. Like if you don't act, if you can't actually formulate uh, the reasons for something that you're changing your mind on mm-hmm. um and the and if you can't articulate the reasons for maybe not changing your mind on it mm-hmm. right then you don't really understand a thing mm-hmm. and if it's something as, as important as you know our understanding of what scripture is or our understanding of uh what you know critical doctrines are and mean and what their significance is and why we should believe them then you know it's a a conservative approach towards belief is perhaps preferable Mm. the only other thing that i'll just add and this is obviously very surface critique is that oftentimes the positions that are being that are uh that that we are being encouraged to rethink and reject are caricatures okay right like like um, things that people like in a lot of in a lot of the progressive Christian books that I'm reading right now in the margins, my notes, I feel like I wish I had like in my hand a a cut like a macro so where I could just, you know, you hit a, one letter and a whole phrase comes up. Yeah, because if I could, I would be who thinks this <laughs> right? Like, you sure. know, um, that the Bible is just a set of propositions that we believe like no one thinks that. Yeah. You know, that that. um you know, all, all all kinds of stuff like this. Like, who actually holds the positions that you're you're saying you're critiquing? Yeah. You know that that God hates you, but you know His Son got in the way and His wrath fell on Him instead. And you know, like just really weird ways of like. I don't think you would in the most fundamentalist churches. You're probably not going to find anybody who actually would even think something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's fair. All right, Doug, let's dive into a couple of these questions here that Paul poses for us. And the first one's coming from Romans 8, verses 31 to 32, which says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So question number four here says, What are some reasons for why people might question if God is really for them? And when was the time where you experienced this, uh, yourself in your own life? 
Number five, how do these verses in Romans 8 engage this concern? And what happens if we fail to truly grasp this? And number six, verse 32 specifically is showing us that God graciously gives us all things, right? Quote, unquote. But more importantly, that he actually gave his son up for us. And why do you think Paul is trying to help us understand? Or what do you think Paul is trying to help us understand here? So um, this is a huge one. Like I, it's, these are such simple things, you know, when mm-hmm. you read them on a piece of paper, but they have such incredible meaning and eternal consequence. It's, it's really important for us to really understand this. Um, and you know, reasons for why people might question if God's really for them, right. You know, I guess you could say the problem of pain, you know, is one of those things that often comes up, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, circumstantial kind of things as well, diagnosis or things not going the right way, or, you know, you, maybe you've been praying for a certain thing or for a certain outcome and then it doesn't end up going that way or, or often some of the reasons that those could be cited. Right. What else, Doug? Yeah, I mean, I think the the list goes on and on. I think it's very important to realize that this this paragraph occurs in a chapter that has taken a very decisive turn towards how to cope with suffering, how to understand suffering and incorporate it into your your Christian faith, you know, mm. to to realize the role of that. And at this point, I think what he's kind of getting into is basically this idea that like, all right, if we're called to this life of of suffering, you know, if we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him, like that kind of idea, provided we suffer with him, is right, what he right. puts it. Um, then we need to be sure that we need to be have a firm degree of cer- certainty that God is actually for us and that we will be justified in the end, right? That we will, that, that things are going to be okay. Mm. That he, there will be a day when he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be a day when we will experience that glory beyond all comparison, which you spoke about early in that chapter. And that's why you have here, um, you know, especially by the time you get to this verse, a lot of stuff about how unshakable Hmm. um, the hope of the gospel is Hmm. and how, as the main point is, nothing can nullify that hope. Hmm. So, yes, certainly things like you mentioned, all different kinds of suffering and things like that, it can put cause it, you to doubt, right? Put it, yeah. It reminds yeah. me almost a little bit of John the Baptist, too. When yeah. he sent word to Jesus, he's like, are you the one to, uh, to come or should we expect another, you know? Yeah. I think, I think too, sometimes people will get expectations for what life must look like. Right. You know, like you mentioned praying for a certain thing. Like I've seen it happen to a, a fair number of people, right? Like a good example of this, I think, is how dead set some people get on getting married. Right. Finding or somebody. Kids. Yeah. Finding yeah. someone to have the, the Christian family with, you know, mm-hmm. and when God doesn't bring that along or when it's slower in coming, it can become a real crisis of faith. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, screw this God thing. I'm doing everything right. And I can't find anyone to date, you know, and mm-hmm. I understand it's easy for me, a married guy to be saying this to another, you know, married guy. Sure. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is that is that that's not how you know that God loves you, that he's bringing some, and there's, there's, I, I often think too, there's, there's even like a, a quote unquote worldly perspective on it where you never know what God is sparing you from, from not allowing certain things that you think ought to be differently in your life. Right. Like, you know, um, maybe it was a good thing that something that I perceived as bad happened to me, or maybe it's a good thing that something I wanted to happen didn't happen. Right. Um, we touched so, on this a little bit yeah. last week too, but like there, there's a reality of things. There's a cautionary tale here. We, we should be careful as we walk through a world that is inevitably affected by sin and pain mm-hmm. and death and suffering that we don't accidentally, you know, appropriate 
you know, the hurt of this world at, toward God. Yep. You know what I mean? As if like, well, I prayed for this certain thing and God didn't answer me. Therefore, he must not be real or therefore he must not care about me. And, you know, I say these things lightly, but a lot of folks really struggle with this, like yeah. really struggle with this. And it kind of brings us back to the point here in Romans 8 verses 31 to 32. This, this thing, right? Paul's saying, you know, like God will graciously give us all things, right? But more importantly, he's given up his son. Like this is the proof. Like God is... God is completely for us, you know, and it's important that we really grasp that as Christians because this, the walk, like you said, you know, is provided we suffer with him, we mm-hmm. will, you know, inevitably. Yeah. And, the, and the way we know God loves us is by the giving of his son, is by the things mm-hmm. like, <laughs> so who, who uh, if God is for us, who could be against us? And then right up on the heels of that, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Right. You know, that's, yeah. that's how, that's your evidence right there. Hmm. As we've said this in weeks past, because other weeks have been similar on this theme. Yeah. Right. But that the, that God loved the world in this way, that he got us all good mortgage rates, <laughs> right. Or, yeah. or he, yeah. you know, he, he got us into the school we wanted or yeah. he helped us to stay employed. No. Or he promised me a spouse. He and promised children. me a spouse. Yeah. No. He, God loves the world in that he gave his only son. Hmm. Um, now, um, I almost called you Paul, Doug, (laughs) Paul, uh, you give us a couple other verses here, uh, to kind of elaborate a little bit more on what Paul was saying, uh, Romans eight verses 16 to 17, just before, as well as first Corinthians three verses 21 to 22 and first Corinthians 15 verses 27 to 28. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to kind of summarize just a little bit more support there for what Paul's saying? Yeah. So this idea, how will he not also with, with him graciously give us all things. And this idea that like, um, yeah, this, this idea of inheriting all things, all things in Christ. So, um, first Corinthians three, uh, we'll start with the second one last, um, or first, <laughs> um, but he ends this chapter by saying, let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all things are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God, mm. is God's. Okay. This idea that all things belong to us if we are in him. And then uh, Ephesians, uh, not Ephesians, Romans 8, here in Romans 8, chapter, uh, uh, verses 16 through 17, uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This idea that like that what is Christ's is ours. Mm. Um, and then that last thing there uh, that I have in First Corinthians 15, this is where all things are put under Jesus' feet in subjection to him, right? And, and so the idea is that like this... Uh, as we've said in previous weeks, this broad idea of the gospel where God is redeeming his entire creation Mm. and Jesus is Lord over all of that. And we who are in him are also inheritors of that. Mm. So like we, our inheritance is the redeemed creation, this world as it's supposed to be. Um, World 2.0, world Hmm. fully redeemed, new heavens and new earth. Those are all ours, and that so this is just I think a more fleshed out, uh, kind of magnificent version of our hope, and I think mm. that that really has to factor into real to 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 any 
a biblically faithful conception of heaven. Mm. That heaven is not just merely a place somewhere, but it's actually here, here redeemed, all things yours. All things that are redeemed are yours. Mm, in Christ. Uh, you know, I think it's worth pausing too before we move on to the next section here. Because I, I know, like for me personally, this was always, you know, in my own testimony, this was a struggle for me. Like the idea that God was just, the idea that God was good was always easy for me to grasp. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, that God was, I guess, loving or for me, loving of me or for me was always tougher for me to really grasp. Mm. And it was something that I kind of glossed over from time to time. And even, you know, to this day, I'll admit that I I struggle with that thought often. And I pray through that a lot. Mm. But if you've got folks that are in your groups that are struggling through that as well, like here's a great time to talk through those things and pray through those things as well. And then, uh, and then press on. So next section here, right? Who shall bring charges against God's elect? So Romans 8.33 reads, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So question number seven asks, What kinds of charges do you think Paul is talking about? Number eight, in your own words, describe what Paul means by justification. Yay! We can mm-hmm. define that. There you go. Uh, question number nine, notice that the thrust of this verse isn't simply that we are justified, but also who it is that justifies us. Uh, it's God who justifies, right? So what difference does this make for the person who fears judgment? So, Doug, take us through these ones. What what kind of charges is Paul talking about here? Yeah, so um, I think it's uh, you realize that um, a large component of the argument is of the book of Romans is, is kind of like a, this courtroom setting, um, where, you know, there's, uh, first you have like the prosecutor mm. in the beginning, talk about the universal sinfulness and how we can't be justified by works of the law and everything like that. And, um, I think like there's, there's a, uh, an interesting, uh, passage in the beginning where, uh, where he talks about how, um, uh, we show that the works of the law are written on our hearts. Uh, this is chapter two, verse 15 and 16. Um, uh, while our conscience also bears witness and our conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse us mm. on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Hmm. Right. And so this idea that like, we're all going to be held to account. And every time he uses that word justified in that kind of language, right. It's, mm. It's very much like this this courtroom uh, kind of thing that we're to envision. So that, like, now we know that whatever the law says, this is chapter 3, verse 19, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the world may be held accountable to God. Mm. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Mm. So it's this fear of condemnation that then the gospel comes in and delivers us from and... Uh, and 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 so that those are the charges that we I think that the, the charges uh, the the wages of our sin as as uh, he says elsewhere in chapter six that we have to be it's cool to get the about. imagery of the of the courtroom too you know what I mean it's funny yeah. I've always thought of Romans as the court and in a Roman court too I guess in my head it made yeah. out of stone I guess rather than wood but 
like you know you've got all this imagery the idea of, of god sitting there as judge and and if you understand what jesus d- did for us you know i mean ryan alluded to this in the sermon as well stepping in on our behalf and, and taking our blame for us but yeah. uh that's cool that you pointed out all the all the language pieces and, there and so that and that's the yeah and there's a bunch more stuff like you love know, the condemn language also in mm-hmm. in romans is very uh, judicial yeah a uh, very forensic as they would say um let me ask you about justification yeah i was gonna yeah. ask you so how about justification so justification so. is an important word and it basically means to be shown to be in the right okay so um the definition i always knew for justification yeah. was being declared righteous by god uh yeah that was yeah, the one that's, that I, yeah. yeah that's that's fair but it's um but the idea of uh uh, I, I think, I think, <laughs> so, you know how we're not supposed to use a word to define, the same word to define the word we're looking to sure. define? So, technically, the concept of righteousness in the Bible is the same word in the Greek language as to justify. I see. So, it's almost like saying uh, to be justified, that justification means to be justified by God, if we say to be righteous. So, then the question is, what does it mean to be righteous? Okay. Right. And so, and I think, I think actually an interesting passage uh, with this, like in Paul's non-technical usage is in Matthew 11, uh, 17 through 19, where Jesus says, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Okay. Okay. Wisdom is justified by her needs is what it literally is how, well, not literally, but how it's the same word there, uh, okay. right? It's, she is shown to be wise indeed. Okay. Right. Like she's, she's, um, so, um, yeah. So this is, uh, I'm sorry, this is Matthew 11. Um, you know, uh, where exactly does he say this? Um, uh, Matthew eleven nineteen is that is the verse. Okay. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Mm. So the, so what Jesus is doing here is wise in his eating with all these people, right? Like he's not being some unwise glutton and drunkard because just look at what he's doing. Okay. Okay. So in your uh, in your eyes, uh, he is he is ultimately shown to be in the right because of the outcome of his deeds. Interesting. The outcome of this, right? Mm. Not the mere fact that he's eating with tax collectors and drunkards, but what becomes of it. Mm. Right, they become his disciples. Their lives are changed, and things like that. Mm. Um, it's kind of similar to the argument that James is making. It's exactly how the, James is using the word he justification. Says, show, show me your faith by your work. Yeah. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Right, right, yeah. right. And that's and and in fact, I think that that is the key to understanding the quote unquote difference between him and Paul on justification. Okay, is that James is using the term there more in the way of vindicated. Mm. than he is in in this legal technical you know you're standing before the judgment seat of god he's not he's not using that metaphor there he's like hyper application practical yeah yeah exactly (laughs) this is what faith looks like and so to be shown to be in the right you do good works and that shows that you are in the right Hmm. whereas on that day of judgment according to paul right the way you are ultimately shown to be on the right side of God's judgment on the correct side of judgment is, is, is what Jesus has done for you and mm. whether or not you are in him. Mm. That's why faith. So at any that's rate, probably why a lot of folks really struggle with the idea of like, 
maybe not necessarily salvation by works, but they struggle with these two definitions. Yeah. The understanding yeah. of of works within the role of or the the role of works within faith. Yeah, I mean, right. I think it totally depends on where you place it in the scheme of salvation. If you put mm. it before salvation as something that merits salvation, yep. then you're in trouble. Right. But it is, I would say, a definite result of true salvation. Absolutely. So it's like what yeah, where on the train is the good works? Is it pulling mm. or is it you know, in the, in a passenger car. Right. Right. Um, the other important thing that I think you said there is, you know, declared to be righteous. Mm. The declared part is a very important thing because in its judicial setting, like Paul is using it in Romans, uh, it is a speech act of God. Mm. It is saying vindicated, Mm. uh, in the right part of my family Mm. part, you know, um, yeah. Pronouncement almost. It's a pronouncement. It's a legal, almost like, Almost like I pronounce you man and wife, right? Think oh, about that, yeah. right? Because not only is that saying something, but it that actually does something. Yeah. It's after that that you enter into a new state of being. Yeah. And it's it's the same way with, with, with justification. Oh, that's a great and, example. And then the other question here, what notice how the this verse is worded to emphasize not just that we're justified, but who does it? It is God who justifies, hmm. right? He could have just said, God justified you or, you know, justified by God or or any number of way, but it is God who justifies. Because the question is, who is to condemn? Well, the one who judges the living and the dead is God, God. Christ Jesus, right? Yeah. But the one who is saving you is the judge. <laughs> so the judge is, is so the, yeah, so the one who justifies you is the one who's going to be judging you so you don't have to worry about being condemned if you are in him mm. and that i think is what why he emphasizes who does it mm. and not merely that like what is done this is important for the person who fears judgment too right this question's asking us you know what difference does it make for the mm-hmm. person who fears judgment and like you said the very person who is who can justify is the one he's the only one who can condemn and yeah. so if you fear judgment here it is the judge himself is saying this is your way forward you know yeah through my son jesus yeah in fact you know you could kind of lean into this and talk about how the new testament portrays jesus as the actual judge right the one who is to judge mm. the living and the dead mm. uh, and and so then the very next verse right who is to condemn christ jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised yeah. who is at the right hand of the father Who's interceding for us? Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, so just think about the mixing of those, of that, yeah. of that imagery, right? Like uh, Jesus Christ, the whom Paul elsewhere describes as the judge of the living of the dead, is the one who intercedes on our behalf. Yeah. Right? So it's like your judge is also your attorney, <laughs> you know? You know, it's funny. I've got a, uh, I got pulled over for a speeding ticket. Uh-huh. Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah, I can't imagine that happening. Yeah, and I actually just got pulled over a little while ago on our way to lunch. <laughs> I've been pulled over. Alex has been pulled over with me in the car, too. Uh, yeah, it's a bad habit we have going to lunch together as a staff. Uh, I probably shouldn't drive anymore. Um, <laughs> although this time I, you know, there was a, they closed down the road, so I made a U-turn and the guy pulled me over. But okay. He let me oh, go. Right, He's right. like, oh, I didn't know the road was closed. But anyway, yeah. so... Um, I got pulled. I got pulled over once. Uh, I was going too fast <laughs> through my hometown, and I walk into the courtroom. And the judge that's there happens to be a really good friend of mine and and my attorney in other matters. And so he had a, he looked across the class uh, the, the classroom. He looked across the courtroom and basically said, uh, "As just a public announcement, you know, we often you know often judges work as attorneys and conflict of interest mm-hmm. and blah blah blah." Which was my cue to stand up and leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. They had to move my court case to 
a bunch of different courts and prolonged it like eight months because, mm. you know, my attorney presided over all these. And because of that, like over and over and over again, we finally got to a place where, you know, they could, you know, they let so, it go anyway. Yeah. But the, the prosecutor was so annoyed. He's like, why did this take so long? And he's like, why does everybody know you? And so on and so forth. Yeah. But, that, and that that's actually kind of interesting. So like, why is that a bad thing in human courts? Because the human, human beings cannot be trusted to judge justly. Right. Right. And so they can't be both your lawyer and your judge. judge. Yep. But there is one who is the very standard of justice, who is right. by definition just, and that's Christ, Christ Jesus. Yeah, right? Jesus yeah. is perfectly just. Yeah. And here, and it's just cool for me because these two worlds are colliding because, like, here's Jesus who is the only one who can condemn me for my sin and yet is also the judge and is also my savior. He's yeah. the only one who can save. Right, yeah. And there's incredible hope in he's that. He's like, he's he wears a lot of hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that should bring us an incredible confidence. You know it is yeah. it is exactly him who is able to condemn, who is able to save, who is the judge, who is saying yes. You know, you, like he has died for us, and faith in him is everything you need. Yeah, and it's Jesus that's saying that. Believe, yep. and you will be saved. Right. All right. So uh, where are we at here? Who shall uh, bring charges? Who shall condemn? Where? Who shall? Romans eight thirty four. Ah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. Who shall condemn? So. Uh, Romans 8.34, let me read that for us real quick. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We talked about this quite a bit, but let me read the questions. Number 10, in the sermon, Ryan mentioned that our sin is primarily an offense against God. Why is this important for a Christian to understand? So we talked about that a bit. Number 11, what are three things that this verse points out about Jesus which should put to rest any fears of condemnation? And how do each of them contribute to the hope we have in Christ? That's interesting. You're pointing out three specific things here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, he's the one yeah. who died. Yep. Who was raised. You got it. And is at the right and hand. And he's at the right hand. Of yeah. Him. And is interceding for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And each of those is important, right? Like yeah. we often think of like the gospel as just being that he died as a sacrifice, mm. but then the idea that he was raised, right? So that you know, death did not defeat him, but he defeated death, and um, you know, those are in him will also experience this. Mm. Um, uh. And uh, uh, notice, too, that there's a note of justification in Jesus, right? Vindication. Jesus is vindicated to be God's son. He's, he's, so there's a, an evidentiary aspect that he is not only declared to be the Savior, but is proven to be the one who can save by his resurrection from the dead. Mm. Which is huge, and, too. I, yeah. Like, honestly, one of the most poignant, one of the most po- poignant events that happened in the scripture, I love this. It's recorded in John is when Jesus dies, there's like this waiting period where the disciples don't really know what to do. Yeah. And I love, there's this small verse that just shows Peter and they're like, well, what are we going to do? He's like, I'm, I'm going fishing. You know, like yeah. where, what else, what else do you do? Like he's dead, you know, like he's not here anymore. Yeah. Like what do we do? And he goes fishing. And then once he's raised, everything changes. Yeah. Everything. And you know, it's, I think it's pointed just cause that's where, that's where Peter you know, that's was found by, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. he was called from. And it's what he knows. He just, and then after that, you know, we know that we know the history and you can read acts and everything else of what happens, but it's just, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, but the fact that Jesus was raised means everything. Yeah. He is the son of God. He conquered death. He conquered sin. Notice too, that this is the second mention of intercession in Romans eight. So here we have Jesus interceding for us. Whereas back 
in uh, verse 27, we have the Spirit interceding on our behalf in our prayers, right? Yeah. So this idea that, like, with, you know, these different members of the Trinity kind of going for going to bat for us hmm. is this idea here. Really cool. Mm-hmm. So next couple of verses here, Romans 8, 35 to 39, talking about who shall separate us from the love of God. Um, question number 12 here reads, how do these verses temper the expectation that God is only loving if he saves us from all struggles in this life? Number 13, what is the substance of Paul's encouragement here for those who feel that suffering is somehow or, or that suffering somehow severs us from God's love? Number 14, when was a time in your own life where you really needed to know this and who's someone in your life right now who might need to hear what God's saying to us right. in this passage? Yeah. Okay, so so question 12, how do these verses temper the expectation that God is only loving if he saves us from all struggles? Well, notice, look at this, right? Like, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says all these things, and he doesn't say, he's, we're not going to go through those. Right? He says, because he says, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, uh, nakedness, danger, sword. And then he even goes, he's like, you know what? Let's go ahead and quote Psalm 44. Mm-hmm. For your sake, we're be- we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, right? Like mm-hmm. those, now that's followed by a strong no, you know, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors, right? Mm-hmm. Not, so in other words... If this is this is a powerful verse for those who think that if I'm in Christ, then there is no suffering for me in this life, or there is yeah. right like that I can, he can be expected to just deliver. No, the idea is that even if he doesn't deliver you from this, um, these things do not separate you from his love. Mm. They don't. They don't. They don't. They don't move the, the, the stick an inch in that direction, in the direction of God does not love you. Because mm. none of these things can, can overcome it. And again, it's not, as we've said, it's not the minimizing of those things. It's not like, oh, you wussy, you should just, don't worry about the tribulation or the distress or the persecution or the famine or nakedness or danger or sword or being killed all day long. Right? Yeah. Like, it's not saying like, you need to just suck it up or anything like that, but rather that despite how bad those things are, they do not separate you from the love of Christ that's in Christ Jesus. Mm. My new Bible highlighting system oh, I've yeah. got here is highlighting this is a much colorful of stuff. page. Oh, yeah. I Oh, I love Romans. But nice. one of the things I do, um, I try to circle like uh, contrasts, comparing mm-hmm. and contrast. And like in this too, he says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, or height, or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God um, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And like, like Paul's saying, in every single case, in life or death, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, God's love is still the same. Like, we cannot be separated from him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he who began a good work will bring it about to its completion, you know? And it's, I don't know, it's, it's just cool, you know, to see how, like, God works through all these things. And I think these passages are, are some that we should really hear for ourselves as a church, you know, as we, as we walk through this. Look, we're in the middle, or I guess toward the tail end of a pandemic, you know what I mean? And, and this pandemic has really shaken some stuff up, you know yeah. what I mean? There's been a lot that's come pouring out yeah. to see the substance of what our church is, where we are, what kind of faith we have. And in all of these things, the one thing that's always proven true is that God's good. You know what I mean? Like his gospel is true. And we've, that's the one thing that we hold on to, you know?
Yeah. I'm grateful for that. Any, any parting thoughts, Doug, as we close up here? Um, I mean, I, I think that there's, uh, there's, there's a certain dynamic uh, and Ryan tipped his hat to this in the beginning of the sermon when he was like, you know, what I'm about to do is take 40 minutes to explain, to <laughs> say this worse than Paul is saying it to you <laughs> in like 30 seconds. Right. Like sure. there's a, it's not only what is said, but how it's said sometimes that is, uh, some might call it the rhetorical strategy of scripture. <laughs> That and I think it is it's a good quote by the way. Yeah, it's not what you said; it's how you said it. <laughs> if you could name that, I'd be impressed. I don't think I know that one. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to do one earlier that I'm pretty sure you didn't know. Hit me. No, finish your thought. When first. you're saying let's go fishing, uh-huh. I was going to say forget it, dude. Let's go bowling. Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Yeah, got you. Yeah, you got it. All the right, dude. <laughs> all right. Um, rhetorical. Yeah. So like, yeah. So. Um, all right, so this is a little bit tough because the study guide break cuts this up into verses, right? So if you're mm-hmm. doing like choose a volunteer to read this verse, choose a volunteer to read this verse, you could kind of miss the way this passage kind of sings. Okay. You know, that like it comes – it very much is a – like there's a rhythm to this passage. So my, one of my pieces of advice would be to make sure that sometime in your study with your group – Read the whole thing. Read mm. read Romans 31 all the way through to the end of the chapter in verse 39. Mm. And just realize like that there's there realize the rhythm there, the 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 way it's supposed to get you pumped just from mm. the way that it say, says mm. it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, especially this verse as well, because most people, even if they're newer to Christianity, when you when you think of this verse, you know the whole passage. You know what I mean? Because Paul like to use your vernacular, he's mm-hmm. singing through this. Yeah. You know? Like this is that mountaintop experience. What then can separate? Like who's to condemn us? Who's to separate us? Who can bring any charge against us? Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost like he's preaching hard by this point. Yeah. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Like it's it's like that, you yeah. know. And Amen, you're, man. <laughs> you're supposed, yeah, and that's that's part of what Scripture is. You know, it's. Yeah. It's uh, it's 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 written to be beautiful. Yeah, you know, Romans seven's like that too. Yeah, Romans a lot of Romans is like that. You also get this at the end of the heavy theology section at the end of chapter eleven, right? Mm. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To mm. him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Mm. You know, awesome, like that kind of stuff. Um, so a couple things to pray for. Number one, pray that God would show you guys areas of doubt in your own faith. And encourage you with the truth that for the Christian, there really is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Yeah. Um, and we should take incredible, uh, incredible, we should find incredible joy and hope in that. Uh, and then lastly, pray that God would help you to have the confidence that's described here in this passage that, that Paul lays out for us. And uh, from here, we move on to Ephesians. Is that right, Doug? Uh, yeah, well, we got Mother's Day coming up. Mother's Day sermon. So, uh, yep. Yeah. So, so I have a special. Day. It'll be good. Yeah. Special yeah, sermon like next week. Ryan's planning for it. And then, and then, yeah, we're on into Ephesians and we're going to do the whole book. Rock and roll. So the community season will end before we get to the finale of Ephesians. Yeah. Uh, we try to stick to the community seasons. We, we 
intentionally keep them short. We don't like going into June because by that point, folks are all over the place and, and so on and so forth. So um, a lot of you guys ask like, hey, can we continue studying if we want to go through the rest of Ephesians? Of course you can. Absolutely you, not. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need our permission to continue studying if you'd like to do that. But uh, officially for our ministry season, we just we shut those things down uh, just to keep some regular rhythms. And it's important for you guys to get rest as well. And don't forget, we've got summer sessions coming up, which is going to be a doozy. I'm going to be showing up for those too. And then if you guys are between the ages of 18 and 25, we'll have colleges coming around the corner as well. Talking about relationships, <laughs> we we like to just say we're talking about sex because that's how all the college kids show up. That's but right. Relation, all of the out. above. Yep. Gotta so, get them out. all right, you guys, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll look forward to seeing you same time next week. Take care. Bye bye.